Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. And we are continuing our series, The Road to the Infinity Festival of Hollywood. We are a couple weeks away from this really exciting three-day event, which is taking place in Hollywood, which is all about technology and storytelling. And so on today's show, we're going to actually talk about something we haven't ever talked about before, which I think is kind of exciting, which is this combination of technology and art. So we've looked at um, immersive technologies, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, all from their business uses and from how they're impacting the consumer. But today we're going to interview the fabulous Kevin Mack, who is an Academy Award-winning visual effects pioneer. And he's part of a, a sort of growing movement to merge together art and technology to create really original living pieces of art. So let's have a big Tech Cat welcome for Kevin Mack, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And the studio audience came wild. <laughs> Thank you. So, Kevin, welcome, welcome to the show. So, this is such a, um, an interesting topic because there are so many things happening right now um, in the world of like interactive experiential theater and pop-ups and just new ways to engage people in content in new forms using all of this tech. So, tell us about your background and sort of how you came to be this guy. Uh, well, I've been an artist all my life, and uh, uh, you know my parents were were Disney artists in uh, in the film industry, and so I grew up painting and drawing and sculpting and animating, and uh, I got very interested in uh, computer graphics for making art in the uh, way back in the '80s, and I was. One of the main things that led me to it was this idea of virtual reality, uh, which back then uh, uh, folks were saying was right around the corner. Um, and uh, of course, it took a few decades for that to uh, become a, a viable technology. But um, I got into computer graphics back then and started uh, making art and exploring the technology. And uh, I found myself kind of in the right place at the right time because I had made my living for many years doing traditional visual effects, uh, matte painting, concept art, miniatures, uh, you know, sculpting, painting, storyboards, all the various uh, art that's used in filmmaking. And, and so, but I had, now I have these uh, computer graphic skills as well. And when uh, digital visual effects uh, came about, I was there at the forefront, kind of helping to push it forward and got to ride that wave and got to work on lots of cool movies. And, and so uh, it was just a, an incredible ride. Uh, but then uh, when the technology, it took forever, but when it finally uh, became a viable thing, I, I jumped on board uh, full time to uh, create the virtual reality art that I'd been dreaming about since I was a little kid. Well, that's so cool that it all came together. And I didn't get a chance to mention this to you, but I actually worked on What Dreams May Come, which oh, is wow. the, the movie that you won an award for, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah it, it was it like a few awards. Awarded. 
Yeah, tell tell us about that because I think that sets the stage for where where you ended up because there are a lot of people dancing between art, experiences, television, film, all sort of leveraging all these technologies that you just mentioned. But you you really first began sort of your claim to this world in, in the film side. Yeah, I think uh, I, I got to be known as the, uh, the, the artistic visual effects guy. So I would get projects. <laughs> I would get projects like uh, What Dreams May Come where they wanted some effect that had never been seen before that was, uh, uh, you know, to be uh, something new and creative. And, and so that film had this, this painted world and these uh, very uh, interesting effects uh, which were to depict uh, heaven for a guy who was into art. And so, um, you know, I helped develop processes for, for uh, creating these uh, painterly visual effects. And uh, so it, it's, it's interesting because on a lot of the films I worked on, I, I was always doing my fine art, you know, on the side. And, and, it, but it was, and I, I made a point of always keeping these two things separate. And yet it was always the case that they both informed uh, each other and that I was learning things doing um, visual effects for movies that I could apply to my fine art. And likewise, I was discovering things in my fine art that I could apply to the visual effects. And so there were all kinds of, uh, of things where I would actually you know, manage to uh, shoehorn some of my artistic techniques into the film. And What Dreams May Come was a, a wonderful opportunity to do that. But there were, there were others. Uh, uh, the, how the Grinch Stole Christmas has a whole opening sequence of flying into a snowflake in this crystalline world and finding Whoville there. And, and, and that was one of my concepts. And, and I created that world. That's so cool. Well, and what what dreams may come um, is particularly beautiful. Um, you know, it's with if Robin Williams. If if you haven't had a chance to see it, but um, there there are these moments of of the merging of, you know, the artwork into the scene, and it is it is sort of before visual effects were cool. <laughs> you, were, you were doing all this because now now it's like people, you know. Um, after Endgame, people have these insane expectations, and they don't blink twice. But back then, it wasn't like an everyday thing. Yeah, it was. It was entirely new, and it was such an exciting time because we were pioneering this stuff and doing a lot of things for the first time ever. And uh, one of the things on what dreams may come that was really exciting for me, and is is really relevant to what I'm doing now. Uh, was the creation of this uh, this beautiful tree with uh, purple flowers all over it that uh, Robin Williams encounters in the afterlife. And uh, rather than have artists, you know, hand model all of these thousands of branches and flowers and, and place the whole thing, I used uh, a, a form of artificial life, uh, a rule-based system uh, known as L-Systems, and uh, we actually grew the tree uh, in the computer from a set of simple rules. And so it was, it was the first time that artificial life or L-systems had been used in a film. And so that was really exciting for me. And, and I'm still using rule-based systems and artificial life in my work. And in particular, in the work I'm doing now with Onondala, uh, my virtual world that's populated with living creatures. Oh, my um, God. They well, have... Well, Kevin, hold back, hold back one mm-hmm. second and explain to everybody 
um, what rule-based means because I, I kind of grok it because I, I talk to, to you uh, genius types all the time, but explain to us what, what, what rule-based means. Well, it's a, it's a very broad term in a sense, um, but in, in, in this case, uh, rule-based systems, you know, in a sense, life is a rule-based system in that uh, you get um, from the combination or in the interaction of a handful of of, of rules, uh, you get what's known as emergent phenomena. So uh, the rules might be simple, uh, but the results of the interaction of those rules uh, can produce absolutely unpredictable, very, very complex behavior and, and results. Uh, so, so now you have taken that and um, and using using that that kind of technology, and you're applying it to a new world. And tell so tell us about Anandella and and how and and would you consider this artwork or is it a science experiment? Like you know, give us give us some some boundaries here. Well, uh, Anandella is a a virtual reality abstract art installation that's unconstrained by the limits of reality. And it's, it's designed to inspire awe and engage the imagination and enhance well-being. And uh, as to what it is, that's really the challenge of what I'm doing is that I think on, a, on some level, it's, uh, you know, it relates to a lot of different things, but it's entirely new, and it, it dissolves boundaries between uh, fields that have really never previously been related or overlapped. So, for instance, uh, it is a fine art thing um, in that it's an experience that's designed to be an expression of an aesthetic ideal, uh, but it is also... Uh, it turns out incredibly therapeutic, <clears throat> which art in, in general is. It's, it can inspire great awe, which it turns out is, is very, very good for you. But it's also, um, uh, it, it's, you know, in a sense, you can use this for, for there's medical applications. Uh, and, you know, unlike a lot of, uh, you know, contemporary art, it's also... Uh, very accessible. So, in a sense, it's just entertainment. It's very entertaining. Uh, so, you have these different areas of, of therapy and, and medical. My first virtual reality piece, Zen Parade, uh, was used in a clinical study uh, as a hypnoanalgesic uh, during 30 awake brain surgeries. So, oh they were. God. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they were using it basically as medicine. Uh, during brain surgery, uh, the patient needs to be awake. And so um, they undergo a lot of stress naturally, as well as uh, pain. And so they were using my virtual reality experience to get people relaxed and to reduce their, their pain. And, um, and it's, it's very effective at that. So it, that makes it a, a really a difficult marketing problem is like, what is it? It's, you know, it's, it's a floor wax. It's a dessert topping. It's, you know, it's a, a brake fluid. Um, so it has all these uh, very divergent applications. And when you set out to do something now, to do, to do your artwork, um, do you say to yourself, okay, this is going to be an art installation that's going to live in a gallery or this is going to be for a hospital situation or, you know, how do you sort of move through this? Well, um, that is the, the conundrum uh, predicament I face. 
in that um, you mentioned, uh, you know, science experiment previously, and 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 much of what I'm doing, I, I treat it like that. I'm making this stuff and exploring the possibilities of virtual reality art um, without a a clear um, target application, and so uh, the, it's really the the problem for me is, uh, you know trying to figure out what those applications are, what those venues are. I've, I've shown my work in galleries and in museum exhibits. Um, I've shown it in, you know, it's been used in therapy. It's been used in a hospital setting. Um, it's, it's been used, I've, I show it at a lot of, of tech expos and, uh, and so on. So there's, um, there's a wide range of applications, and I'm often asked, like, well, could you make this specifically to treat, uh, you know, this condition or that condition, whether it's PTSD or, or anxiety, or could you use it to uh, improve concentration or can it be used on autistic uh, children and so on? And uh, what I found is that the, 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 the techniques, the modalities I'm using in the work um, seem to have an almost universal application. So it isn't necessary for me to customize it for any particular thing. The things I make seem to be effective uh, across the board, whether it's treating depression or anxiety or, or just entertainment or, or, uh, or art. Wow, and um, I want to talk to you when we come back, um, we're going to take a break in a minute, about um, all the technologies that you're looking at, and then how do you make choices around them, and where do you see some of these uh, technologies going? But this idea of the science of awe that you talk about is kind of fascinating to me, because I've never really thought about it as a thing, but there is this experience, this emotional reaction that people have that your work is producing um, which is awe, which has this impact on us medically, is what you're kind of saying. Yes. Um, for me as an artist, I, I always, you know, that was really the main motivation for making art was I was inspired, uh, would have awe-inspiring experiences from art and from nature. And I loved that experience and I wanted to be able to create that in other people. So uh, I've been very much uh engaged in this pursuit of how to create more awe-inspiring art my whole life. Uh, but I always thought of it as uh, just, you know, something inherent in the art or something I was interesting, interested in that, you know, oh, it, it makes it cool, it's, it's, it's fun, it's exciting, whatever. But, uh, you know, a few years back, I, I, of course, started to learn with my research in neuroscience that Awe is now being recognized as a, a science in itself and as an incredibly powerful uh, therapeutic experience. It is, in a sense, a transcendent experience. And this, this transcendent experience of awe is able to inspire a, a neurological process or a psychological process known as accommodation. And accommodation is when uh, our, you know, we experience this, this transcendent thing whatever it is, this new information that, uh, in a sense, undermines our model of reality and of ourselves. And so with accommodation, we are forced to uh, reassess uh, the nature of reality and ourselves and our relationship to reality. Uh, and 
this often leads to, uh, you know, this is a very powerful thing, and it leads to positive change in people. And they found that uh, experiences of awe uh, promote um, pro-social behavior. You know, people who've had an experience of awe are, are nicer to, you know, other people and more, more, um, more generous. And so, um, you know, that was just like the coolest thing ever to find that this thing I'd been pursuing all my life is actually, uh, you know, this incredibly therapeutic, powerful thing. Well, I never thought of it as like a thing. I mean, I know it's something that, that, uh, you know, we all experience. So when someone's experiencing awe, say, you know, either at an exhibit or in these different places that your, your work, and can we call it artwork? Is that the right expression at this point? Uh, yes, I, I think for me, since I've been an artist all my life, that's how I identify with it most. And you know, I've, I've, I got into neuroscience and, and technology and psychology and everything in an effort to make better art and more powerful and effective art. Uh, but, of course, then I learned that, oh, well, this, this art stuff is actually incredibly uh, powerful and can enhances well-being in human beings. And so um, it's kind of become this you know, multi-headed thing. But for me, uh, I, I, you know, it's easy to get led in one direction or another, but I always kind of return to uh, sort of my roots, which is it's an art experience. Yeah, it's something that someone's going to go and watch and consume. And so one of the challenges that many of the guests on the show have talked about um, is one, people not understanding the technology, not knowing how to use it, um, you know, being a little technophobic. Um, and then the other um, challenge is distribution of, say, the platform or device or whatever you're going to use for that person to view or consume it. So are these considerations that you think about when you're building and looking at something? You know, how are people going to look at this? Um, is, is the place that I put this going to be able to distribute the tech? You know, all, all of those things that... So many of uh, folks in media and entertainment now are concerned about as they dig into new platforms and new technology to, to create work that, that they want the general public to see. Yes, um, I have to acknowledge that that is indeed a, a great challenge uh, for virtual reality and for my work in particular. Um, the uh, virtual reality headset which is uh, just so powerful and so amazing what it makes possible uh, is not an ideal uh, distribution platform because it requires a, you know, a nice chunk of technology and an area and so on. And it's one person per headset. Um, it's not like a theater where you can, and a projector where you can bring in hundreds of people and they can all have an experience at once. So uh, that makes it a challenge from a distribution standpoint. Uh, but what I have found is, uh, and, and the, the technology is still in the stages where it's, uh, you know, technically challenging to set up and, and, and pursue and you have to kind of show people how to use it and whatnot. Uh, but I found I've made my experiences, they're not games or anything. So they don't require a lot of, of learning in order to be able to fly around in my world. And we had a great um, 
experience, uh, I did an exhibit at the uh, Moxie Museum of Exploration and Innovation in Santa Barbara, and they showed my uh, my last piece, Bortasia, uh, for a whole summer. They had a whole exhibit, and I hung my 3D printed sculptures and made prints for the walls and so on. And, um, and they managed it very well. It seemed to work out really well. They had, you know, their volunteers would help people into the thing. And, and we set up a, a swivel chair for people to sit in so they weren't worried about people falling down. And uh, the line, you know, would vary. But for the most part, it, I found these lines te- seem to manage themselves. If it's too long, people go away and look at other stuff in the museum and come back when it's not as long. Um, so it worked out uh, just really well, and it showed me that it is really possible and, 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 and is a viable means for exhibiting the work. Uh, and that's been, you know, the best thing. I think these, <clears throat> these uh, events, like the, uh, the Infinity Festival, are also a, a great experience in that you've got people there, and they come up, and you can give them a, a few minutes in the experience. Uh, but... Uh, these things, the one area these don't cover is that with my latest thing, <clears throat> excuse me, Onondala, it's a pretty vast world. And uh, it would take, you know, weeks uh, to explore it all. And so, you know, when you get five minutes at, a, at an event or whatever, you're just, just barely getting a, a glimpse of it. And you might meet some creatures and get to have an exchange with them and so on. Uh, but you don't really get to know them and, and develop a relationship with them, which is, is an exciting thing for me. So I think that will, will have to be reserved for uh, the home users, uh, which is an, you know, another challenge in and of itself. Uh, currently, uh, most people who have a, a virtual reality set up at home, uh, they're gamers. And, um, you know, this is where how the technology came to be available was it was developed for the gaming market. And, and uh, gamers aren't necessarily the best audience for this type of experience. And what I found in doing, you know, thousands of demos is that uh, actually non-gamers like virtual reality a lot more than gamers do. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, in, in, uh, in my world with a lot of television um, and filmmaking professionals, there's an ongoing argument about gaming and interactivity and narrative and that you can't have interactivity and narrative and that there's a real bre- break between people that um, can handle one or the other. Um, you know, that, that's the eternal argument. Is it a game or is it a story? You know, can you have both? So you're something else, though, because you're not you're not a a scripted show, and you're no. not an <clears throat> game. Um, you're not a reality program, but yet it's a living experience, right? So where yes. do you sit in this discussion about you know interactive and narrative? Well, I've I've looked at that very. Um intensely for some time now from a from a neurological perspective of you know what are we doing here and this this virtual reality uh, provides us with one really fundamental and powerful innovation which is spatial presence uh, uh, the sense of being present in a place 
and, and it gives us the ability to directly communicate the first-person experience of reality. And so that's entirely new, and so I'm treating it as a new medium and not one which is a necessarily a storytelling medium or a gaming medium. And in fact, my findings have been that uh, from a neurological perspective, uh, virtual reality isn't isn't necessarily the ideal platform for games or stories. Um, certainly you can do those things and, and they might be wonderful. A great story is a great story. A great game is a great game. But um, neurologically, when you are deeply engaged in a story, that's a very uh, specific kind of cognition. And one of the uh, hallmarks of that that state or that type of uh, perception is that you suppress or inhibit your sense of spatial presence. Huh. Um, that's why when we're really engaged in a movie, you don't notice the people eating their popcorn next to you or, uh, you know, you're not thinking about other things uh, in your environment. You're not aware of the, the design of the theater or whatever. Um, likewise, with games, uh, when you're deeply engaged in solving a puzzle or some strategic or tactical um, um, activity, um, uh, again, that uh, basically filters all your perception that isn't relative to solving that task. So it inhibits, in, in most cases, um, spatial presence. Hmm. Um, and, and spatial presence is really the, the currency of virtual reality. And so it's, um, it, it does make it a, a, a conundrum, but that's why I'm really focused on creating experiences in reality, uh, that are creating worlds, essentially, which are more like, uh, you know, having a, an experience of spatial presence in, in nature or in reality, um, whether that's, you know, you know, hang gliding in the Himalayas or scuba diving or, uh, you know, spending time on a lovely beach. Um, this is more in, in line with that or even, you know, amusement parks, uh, riding on a roller coaster gives you a very strong sense of spatial presence. And, you know, of course, they're always trying to uh, package and market things using story. So, for instance, you might go Wait, on Kevin, a... Kevin, we, yeah. we, we have to take a quick break, and we're okay. going to come back talking more about spatial presence and also more about some of the new technologies coming out that you're checking out. So we'll be back in a moment with the fabulous Kevin Mack, um, um, the first immersive artist I've ever spoken to on the show, um, learning about this whole new world, leveraging all these great technologies. We'll be back in a moment on the Tech Cat Show. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. 
Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. And we've been talking to Kevin Mack, who is an immersive artist, among many other things. He's also an Academy Award-winning visual effects pioneer. And Kevin's been sort of taking us through how he expresses his art and what immersive art really is and the psychological impact um, it has on you uh, neurologically and why we feel the way we feel when we're experiencing things um, like like the stuff that uh, he designs and builds um, with things like um immersive uh, technologies. So Kevin, I was just curious because again, you know, this show is all about inspire being inspired by technology and how it's impacting people's business and their lives. But how do you decide as an artist what technology to jump into? Because there are so many things happening all the time. So how do you choose what, what you're going to play with? Uh, I think it, for me, it's, it's just whatever is, uh, exciting and interesting to me in terms of the possibilities for uh, being able to express the ideas I have and and also uh, to be able to discover ideas. I think uh, technology has enabled uh, this, this sort of this new idea of, uh, well, it isn't new, but it, it's enabled it more than ever, uh, which is this idea of being able to uh, discover things that we could never imagine. Uh, so often people say, oh, with this new technology, uh, now we're only limited by our imagination. And uh, when I use technology, I, I feel like now I'm no longer limited by my, te- my imagination. I can make things I never would have thought of. Well, and, and when you, so, um, so I totally get that. So what, what, um, what are you looking at now that's coming down the pike that you're interested in? So you've been playing with virtual reality, You've been exploring art, artificial intelligence. What are some things that that you're you're looking at? And then also, where do you learn about stuff? Like, are you constantly on the hunt? Um, yes, um, but also, um, most of the technologies I'm using have actually, at least the you know, in in one form or another, uh, they have existed for a long time. I've been very interested in in virtual reality and. Uh, artificial life and artificial intelligence for decades. Um, I was talking about this stuff 30 years ago. And so 
Um, what's really exciting is that those technologies, which were, uh, you know, always right around the corner back then, but in fact weren't really viable yet, uh, are finally um, coming to the point where they are viable and accessible. Um, so many of the things, you know, the military's had VR for 30 years. It wasn't very good, but, you know, and it was incredibly expensive. Uh, whereas now you can, you know, you can get a headset for a very reasonable amount. Um, so I think a, a lot of the technologies are the same technologies I've been into for a long time. It's more the, uh, that, they're, that I'm getting access to them. So uh, the artificial life stuff, uh, I've been doing a long time, but now I'm able to uh, you know, use AI technology to make the artificial life uh, really intelligent. And that, for me, is just incredibly exciting to be able to make, make life as an art form, an in- intelligent life that's creative itself, that's able to express itself. And, you know, it's funny just because listening to you, um, because I'm so pro-technology, but listening to you sound a little like Frankenstein. So. <laughs> I, I, I identify with that quite, uh, uh, quite a bit, actually. <laughs> I, I've been accused of playing God a great deal in my life. And, well, and that's, uh, what, that's what artists do in so many ways. But when you're talking, you don't sound like it's an artist talking. You sound like you're, you know, uh, either a doctor or a scientist, you know, um, or, you know, a geneticist. I mean, all these other things and not an artist. So it's just really interesting hearing you talk because it's not the language of, you know, I'm using this composition and this color coding and, you know, um, it's it's just, it's very interesting because your conversation, I would not say, belongs to an artist. Um, that is interesting uh, to me as well. I think, um, you know, I, I am an artist. I, that's where I started and began. And, and it may be that since I was uh, tutored in art from a very early age by a lot of artists, uh, my folks were Disney artists and their friends were many of the, the luminaries of the day. So um, I kind of got uh, a lot of the art uh, basics sort of pretty early on and was always looking to take it further and expand on it. And um, so, the, and, and I, you know, I always had this interest in science and, and, and whatnot. So it's kind of a an odd juxtaposition of things, but one which I think is now uh, much more um, normal. It's it's much more much more common to find people who have an interest in art as well as science and and technology. I think there's a lot of people starting to uh, see the the um, useful um, applications of the combination of these different areas. Uh, well, well let, let's talk about how you um, find out about new technology, because that's a lot of what we talk about on the show, too, is, you know, it's, it's a challenge keeping up, and then it's a challenge deciding what to explore, what's going to be real, and, you know, what's valuable um, to spend time on. So, you know, are you out there going to, are there immersive art shows now? Um, you know, is there an immersive art community that you uh, dig into? 
there is. Um, I've done a couple of shows where they they had uh, virtual reality shows. That was one of uh, that was how I actually met um, uh, Mark Lieber from the Infinity Festival. Was they um, he was one of the organizers for the uh, Art of Virtual Reality at Sotheby's in New York, and so I reached out to him. I was like, Hey, I got to be in the show. Um, this is my whole world, and so uh, he he. Um, included me in the show and we just had a wonderful time i think this this um uh idea of finding things and and so on uh, i t- you know i read a lot of course i read a lot of you know scientific news and 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 whatnot and i, I try to stay on top of stuff that's going on but part of it is that um i i think i get a lot of my inspiration and and so on from actually from reading science fiction. So uh, I'm always looking for the stuff that doesn't exist yet. I'm more interested in the technologies that people haven't done yet or haven't used yet. And so I'm, I'm, I, I like the idea of creating technology and, and uh, building, uh, you know, finding applications for it. And so I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's out there. There's lots of information. Uh, but it's always the the trick is is sort of getting the stuff ahead of time before it's really um, developed. So is it is it a cadre of engineers and technologists and coders and programmers that you have in your hip pocket to to do this? I mean, does it require a team, or are you programming, engineering, building, doing it all yourself? Because that that's the other thing about this is it physically requires software and hardware um, and sometimes you can just buy it off the shelf but sometimes with what it sounds like you're doing you're actually augmenting um, what's available you know in a, in a retail environment yes um, I build a lot of my own tools um, and you know traditionally and normally uh, to create the kinds of things I'm creating, you need an army of people to uh, execute that. Uh, but in my case, uh, I, I make the stuff myself. I, I do all of it myself. I do have, uh, I have um, a guy that I occasionally consult who is a, um, a real software developer. I, I write code, but I don't, I'm not very good at it. And um, uh, he is able to uh, take my code and go, well, you know, it'd be more efficient if you did it this way or whatever. So um, I do get some help, but it's pretty minimal. And for the most part, I make it all myself. I make the audio, the build the spaces, create the models. And that's one of the benefits of this procedural rule-based systems and so on is that I'm able to create uh, a great deal of of complexity and um, uh, complex content uh, myself. I'm able to build machines that build, you know, will will build a whole world. And, um, and, and I'm able to still control and, and, uh, and, and create that world. I, I get to control the creation of it uh, at whatever level I want. I can be as specific or as general in my uh, requirements as as necessary. Um, and when we talk about um, you know what's coming down the pike um, in new technology, and a lot of it doesn't register unless it has um, 
it does have a retail uh, application. Um, are you ever um, exploring things that has already kind of been in retail and had success and then you're sort of co-opting it for different purposes? Um, well, uh, yeah, certainly there are. That's one of, been one of the, the big techniques I've used over the years. Uh, I, I used to just collect software like some people collect stamps or whatever. I loved 3D software and any kind of um, music software and so on uh, because everybody was kind of, back then it was, everybody was had a different perspective on it. They had different kinds of tools, different things. And what I found was that there would be a tool that was designed for, for a particular application to make a particular kind of thing. And there were ways to exploit that or or um, utilize that tool for a purpose it was not intended. So by using tools uh, in ways they were never intended to be used, I would discover really interesting things I never would have thought of. And and also, uh, I would find the artifacts <clears throat> uh, inherent in, in various processes, and often artifacts of a process are really interesting, uh, you know, can lead to really interesting results. Well, let's just talk about where people can find you. And, and you know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the, just the immersive art movement and if there are new environments being built to showcase this work. Because one of the interesting trends happening in homes now is sort of that bonus room being kept as like the VR room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've also seen people um, throwing up tents in their backyard. I've seen people get blow up, like what normally would be like a jumping area for kids and turn that into a VR space. Um, so, you know, because what you're doing requires an environment um, and more space than, say, just standing in front of a painting. So uh, how, how is that all being accommodated and where do you see that going? Uh, yeah, I think that's an exciting trend to me because it um, will enable the distribution of the work I'm doing, uh, make it much much easier for people to experience it and to experience it with the, the depth that um, uh, it hopefully deserves. Uh, th- for me, that's, you know, that's very exciting. I think whether that's the trend, I think the technology just is getting better and better. Um, and will be, you know, it will be possible to do it in less space, and with it'll be simpler to use, and uh, and so on. But um, yeah, that's exciting to me. I also, I think the location-based thing for the time being is a pretty exciting thing. I would just like to see more uh, location-based venues, um, or to have them. Uh, reduce their focus on games um, because I think there's a, a much broader audience for virtual reality experience than gamers and if they can, if we can get them to be aware of uh, the richness of these these experiences and what's possible um, uh, certainly with the virtual reality art and and really all, all manner of, of, of reality experiences uh, I think uh, that's a huge, there's just a vast potential for, for business there, um, you know, all kinds of applications. 
And so I'm, I'm really trying to find, you know, people who are, are interested in developing these things and, or have venues uh, and, and find a way to license my work for those applications, whether they're medical, therapeutic, entertainment, or fine art. It's funny because um, I was just thinking about how when I bought my Quest, uh, the first thing I thought about was, I'm not that interested in shoot 'em up games, but I want some experiences. And so the first couple of things that I downloaded and bought were, you know, like going into, um, you know, the North Pole through a Nat Geo thing mm-hmm. or, um, or going into the social VR experiences. But I would love to, you know, choose a gallery inside of the quest and hang out in a in an installation because I'm not that interested. I mean, I do like boxing and, you know, like everyone else in the world, I like Beat Saber, but it's mostly for exercise and to get out workday frustration. <laughs> but but I would like more adult sort of cultural experiences in VR to be available to me, um, especially, you know, as my daughter wants to, my 10-year-old wants to put on my headset, and I don't want her in a shoot-up game, and that seems to be the primary, you know, yeah. focus for, for a lot of these things, and why do we need more of that? And I'm not saying those don't have their time and place, but I would love to see this vertical, this gallery vertical be built out. Yes, there's there's a few things happening there. I'm involved with a um, uh, a, a group of people, an app uh, for virtual reality called the Museum of Other Realities, and they they launched recently. Um, we've been meeting up in there uh, for a few years and sharing our art with each other, and uh, it's a it's a really cool idea. They've really been working out all of the the uh, technical challenges of being able to host. A lot of uh, of users uh, coming in from all over the world in a in a shared uh, museum environment or gallery environment, and so I've been working on a, a new piece for for that that will launch uh, early next year, and so I'm I'm really excited about the possibilities for that uh, because there you can have there you have a thing where people can go you can have a social experience uh, uh, while in you know. In interacting with with uh, virtual reality environments and art, and it's great because uh, unlike a you know a brick and mortar museum, it's unconstrained by the the limits of reality. So they can just keep adding wings and rooms, and they've got doors that just are you know a door in the middle of nowhere that goes to a whole other world. And uh, so it, I think that's a very exciting possibility. So cool. So where can people follow you, Kevin, and, and keep track of what you're doing? Uh, well, my website is kevinmacart.com, and that's M-A-C-K. And uh, uh, it's at Kevin Mac Art on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And um, also I'll, I have some work at the, uh, in uh, the Museum of Other Realities, which is available on Steam. And my own work, Zen Parade, is available on the Oculus Store uh, for the Go. And I'm not sure if it's available for the Quest or not, but uh, hopefully will soon be. Uh, and then uh, Blortasia uh, is a, a six degree of freedom, a full, you know, real-time world. And that's also available on Steam for the, uh, uh, for the HTC Vive, the Rift, the Index, uh, you know, all the, the tethered headsets. 
And, and it's funny because I was just thinking, okay, I'm definitely going to check this out tonight when I have my Beat Saber time. <laughs> All right. But, um, but, you know, so then I thought, okay, do I look up by the name of the artwork or do I look up by the artist? Um, because some artwork in the world is known by, you know, like the sunflowers or whatever, but other artwork is just known by, oh, that's Picasso. So in, in this immersive art world, is it a Kevin Mack original or, or, or is your work mostly known by the actual work itself? Uh, I, I suppose it depends on the, the circles you travel in. Um, I think, you know, probably people that, that use, you know, I've got a lot of users that regularly use a Zen Parade and Vortasia, and I don't know that they, you know, know or care who I am. Uh, but then there are a lot of people that are into, uh, you know, the artists themselves. So they follow me on my site. And, Kevin, and we like, care. We care. I want you to. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, I, you can, I, I think you'll have no trouble if you Google Kevin Mack Art or Blortasia or Zen Parade. Uh, you should have no trouble finding the apps. They, they have their own names. And it is, a, it is a good question, though, and a good issue. I initially thought, okay, well, I'm going to have a virtual reality company, and I'm going to make these things and, and and sell them and so on. So I thought, well, I've got to I've got to seem like I'm a corporate entity and 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 kind of you know hide this you know individual artist uh, thing. And so I started this company called ShapeSpace VR, and and pretty soon I realized, wow, that's that's actually not the right thing. I I should just you know, I need to just be upfront that I'm an individual artist making this stuff because that's an actually a more interesting story. Well, we're going to um, wrap now, Kevin, but it's been so interesting talking to you and hearing about this new world, and it blends into so many other trends happening. And I, I really want to check out your artificial world and sort of hang out in Frankenstein land um, with you because it's just absolutely fascinating. So definitely check out Kevin's site. It's kevinmacart.com. And Kevin will also be speaking and showcasing at the Infinity Festival in Hollywood, November 8th and 9th. And we have a whole gallery at the show featuring other artists who are leveraging technology to dig into the world of storytelling, but in this art form. And it's just such an exciting um, new world for artists to have all these tools um, in their hands, and, and I can't wait to see the, the other things that you're up to, um, you know, as you um, explore this space. And I, I really do hope that more yeah. museums dedicate space to this so that we can really dig into all the wonderful work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. That would be great. I think um, uh, my, my latest work, Onondala, doesn't have a, a distribution uh, scheme yet, but I um, uh, at the uh, festival, I will be showing it, so it will be a unique opportunity to come and meet my my uh, the new friends I made, and I I actually made them. <laughs> oh my God, that is just you, you blow my mind away. All right, ladies and gentlemen, doctor, mad scientist, engineer, artist, Academy Award winning <laughs> visual effects genius guy, Kevin Mack. Thank you so much for talking to us on the Tech Cat Show. Thank you so much, Lori. Bye, everybody. We have a few more episodes left before the Infinity Festival hits Hollywood. 
So check it out. Come back and join us. Listen to the other interviews. We've had all these amazing people talking about all the great things that they're doing, leveraging technology to tell stories. So come back and listen, and we'll see you next week on the Tech Cat Show. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 